0: Happy New Year. I hope you have had a wonderful, healthy, and great holiday. So at the start of this new year, I am taking a two-week break from podcasting. And this episode is going to be a replay from our episode 009, my conversation with my supervisor in Stanford, Dr. Fiona Barwick. She is a great clinician and a very experienced sleep specialist and awesome mentor for me. I think I had a wonderful and valuable conversation with her. And that's why I want to put it here. She talked about some common sleep myths, some really common misunderstandings about sleep that are really behind a lot of sleep problem. If you enjoy this replay, please feel free to leave me a message on our website at deepintosleep.co. Let me know. Let's dive in. Hi, Dr. Barik, welcome to the show. I'm very happy to be able to talk to you outside of your office in Stanford.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me, Sean. Uh, it is a pleasure to be chatting with you about sleep, one of my favorite topics.
0: Great. Look forward to it. So I know you work in Stanford Sleep Medicine Center, and I'm I'm curious, what are some common sleep problems you see day-to-day in your practice there?
1: We see virtually all sleep disorders. Stanford Sleep Medicine Center is the oldest sleep medicine center in the U.S. and probably the world, and one of the largest. So we see hundreds of sleep patients a year. As a result, we see disorders ranging from insomnia to circadian rhythm disorders to parasomnias like nightmares or sleepwalking or REM sleep behavior disorder to sleep disordered breathing like sleep apnea, narcolepsy.
0: If it involves sleep, we will have seen it. Wow. That's a lot of different sleep topics.
1: Yes, it is. It's one of the things that makes it so interesting. It's, there's always something new that's coming into our clinic.
0: So I know you are one of the experts treating insomnia. So re- regarding insomnia, I know a lot of audience are really curious and, or a lot of people have those kind of struggles what are some common misperceptions people often carry with them when they see you? I'm so glad you asked me that question, Ishan,
1: because there are so many misperceptions about sleep. There's not a lot of accurate information available to the public. It's getting better, but there still is a lot of misinformation. So I'm happy to have the opportunity to correct some of those misperceptions. One of the first is more deep sleep is better. Mm. I've
0: heard people saying this. Definitely, it's a very popular thought about sleep among many Chinese I know.
1: So do most Americans. So the idea of more deep sleep is better is incorrect because deep sleep is actually a small percentage of our sleep from 10 to 20% of our night. It usually happens in the first part of the night within the first three to four hours. After that, after our cycles of deep sleep are finished, we transition to lighter stages of sleep, to dream sleep. What's interesting to me is when our sleep physicians read an overnight sleep study, so when someone comes into our sleep center and they stay in our lab overnight, we get a printout of what's happening in their brain while they sleep, and so we can see very easily When they're asleep, when they're awake, when they're in light sleep, when they're in deep sleep. And what the sleep physicians who read these studies say is when they see too much deep sleep, they think there's a disorder. Sometimes it's narcolepsy, sometimes other things, but too much deep sleep actually reflects a problem.
0: Oh, wow. That's so interesting because I keep on hearing the media talking about you want to try whatever you can to get more and more deep sleep. That means good, high quality of sleep. So that's totally not true. And maybe it's even the opposite.
1: Yes. You want the right amount of deep sleep along with all the other sleep stages that are so important. I think what amuses me is this particular pattern of sleep, the pattern for humans, which is very different than other animals, even though all animals, as far as we know, all living organisms need to sleep or to hibernate, we don't understand why. They have different sleep patterns. So human, the human sleep pattern has evolved over tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. That's a lot of time in which to develop the, the sleep pattern that serves us best. So the idea that we can somehow hack our sleep or engineer it in a way that is more effective for us over a couple of decades, I think is highly inaccurate and likely is going to have adverse effects in the long run.
0: Mm. So regarding the deep sleep, I have a question. Sometimes patients coming to me, uh, especially people with the Apple Watch, they track their sleep. They would complain. They say, well, I only slept one hour deep sleep last night. I slept poorly.
1: Yes. Unfortunately, the fitness trackers or the the wearables, the wrist trackers, which are so common nowadays, can also cause problems. First of all, they are almost always not measuring sleep. The only way to truly measure sleep is if you attach a few electrodes to your head so you can measure your brain activity when you're asleep at night, but something on your wrist is really measuring movement. What it, The correlation it's making is if you are not moving, you are asleep. If you are moving, you are awake. It's pretty easy to see some problems with this. I imagine some people have been lying in bed watching a movie very still, well, that would be recorded as sleep. Conversely, some people are quite restless sleepers, so they're moving around a lot. That could be recorded as wakefulness. The correlations between the wearables and sleep itself are okay if you're a quote-unquote good sleeper, but they are not so good if you're uh, someone who has more trouble sleeping. I think the other issue with the wearables is it turns sleep into a performance. And sleep is not a performance. When sleep is working well, we don't think about it. It just happens. We go through our day. We go through our evening. Eventually, we get ready for bed. We get into bed. And at some point, sleep unfolds. When you turn it into a performance, you actually start putting in effort to try to sleep. an effort is directly opposed to sleep. It simply gets you more activated. I think that's probably my biggest complaint with the wearables. It turns sleep into a performance.
0: Mm. So sleep is not a performance. I like that. (laughs) We can put it on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Maybe I should make one and wear it around. Wait for people to ask me questions (laughs) so I can explain.
1: (laughs) Another one, this is... Not as common, but I think in some cultures, I've heard this. Good sleep means I don't wake up at all and I don't dream, or at least I don't remember my dreams.
0: Definitely heard about that one.
1: Okay. Normal adult sleep includes some awakenings. It is often surprising to people to hear that the average adult wakes up 10 to 12 times a night.
0: 10 to 12 times a night. Wow.
1: Most people are very surprised when they hear that number. Now, if you are awake for less than three minutes, you likely won't remember it, which is why you can be awake in the middle of the night, have a conversation with someone and have no memory of it in the morning. Because if that conversation finished after two and a half minutes, you won't remember it. Similarly, we don't remember our awakenings at night, or we might wake up, get up to use the bathroom, come back, fall asleep quickly. That is all normal. Now, if you are waking up and spending a long period of time awake at night, okay, that's something we can help you with in our clinic. We can certainly reduce the time you spend awake at night. So it's very important for people to realize that waking up is a normal part of adult sleep. Now for dreaming we were talking about these different stages of sleep, the deep sleep, the light sleep. There are really two states in sleep. One is called REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, which is when we dream. And the other, ironically, is called non-REM sleep. I say ironically because REM sleep is a relatively small percentage of our night compared to non-REM sleep. It's about 20% plus or minus two. Um, Non-REM sleep, therefore, is the remaining 80%. So non-REM sleep, implies that it's sort of less significant than REM sleep. The only reason REM sleep has primacy is because it was discovered first. (laughs) Oh, I see. They called it the rapid eye movement sleep because, of course, when we dream, our eyes move back and forth rapidly. And that was the first sign they indicated there was something else going on with sleep. So there are some people who believe, well, there's some people who believe that they don't dream at all. That's probably not true. Um, It's very common for us not to remember our dreams, even though we do dream at night. Other people think dreaming is bad. They want more deep sleep, less dream sleep. (laughs) But in fact, as we were saying, all stages of sleep are important. So you want the right pattern, which includes deep sleep, uh, light sleep, mid-stage sleep, and REM sleep or dream sleep. I think what's especially interesting is... We don't understand the purpose of these different stages of sleep. There's certainly some interesting research that indicates deep sleep is a sort of restorative sleep. It's when tissues are repaired, neurotoxins are cleared from the brain. REM sleep, however, seems to be especially important for learning and memory and regulating our emotions. So if you are getting not if you're not getting REM sleep, if you're not dreaming, then you might find that you're a little more easily overwhelmed during the day. You might be a little more irritable or a little more down, a little more anxious. And so REM sleep is really important so that we can learn and remember what we might have encountered during the day and also so we can regulate our emotions in an appropriate way.
0: So sounds like not only waking up in the middle of night is very normal, also having dream is very normal phenomenon and which is also very important for our health
1: yes exactly i would say getting the right amount of sleep and getting the appropriate stages of sleep is crucial to both physical and mental health
0: Mm. yeah so regarding dream i have a little bit more questions i hear people and friends often ask me So when they wake up, they use whether they can remember their dream or not to judge how they slept the night before, including some of the myths that, oh, if I remember my dream, maybe I did not sleep well, I possibly had too many dreams.
1: Well, unfortunately, we are not very reliable reporters of our own sleep. And this is especially true of dreaming. When you think about dreams, they often combine strange content, bizarre experiences, our sense of time is totally off. It can feel like weeks are passing in a dream, and yet it happens in a night. So if we wake up thinking we're remembering our dreams, thinking that they took up most of our night, that is almost certainly not accurate. So I don't think people should get too caught up trying to figure out how they slept or what was going on when they slept or using their wearables to to indicate what was happening because most of that is going to be misleading and it has the potential to actually increase worry about sleep. I see. And I should mention something else. For those with insomnia, the classic sign of insomnia is you're worrying about sleep and worry and sleep are incompatible. So as long as you're worrying about sleep, you're not going to be sleeping as well.
0: Yeah, a lot of people, I see this vicious cycle that they cannot sleep well one night, start worrying about this so much, end up not sleeping well the other night.
1: Yes, that's a very, very common pattern. Um, and part of the reason you see that pattern is because sleep is a self-correcting system. Biologically, it it, hel- it regulates itself. So if we have poor sleep one night, we usually get better sleep the next night. That's part of what the system is supposed to do now of course if worry is what's disrupting your sleep then you definitely want to address the worry and get a realistic perspective on what adult sleep looks like um, in order to make sure that worry is not part of it because worry is always going to interfere with sleep
0: yes definitely i think i and I, I see that a lot not only from myself um, people around me patients coming in yeah worries often the uh, one of the biggest complaints.
1: And I don't think people truly understand. S- sleep is a system that's virtually unbreakable. When you understand the biology of it, as long as you are awake and active and doing things during the day, you're building up a biological pressure to sleep. Of course, the more physically active, the more socially active you are, the higher that sleep pressure the more daylight exposure, the higher the sleep pressure. But as long as you're doing that, you're building up sleep pressure. And if you build up sleep pressure, at some point you'll sleep. You can't break that system. The only thing that might break it is, in our much later decades, if we do have dementia, that means there's some sort of neurodegenerative process going on. So our brain tissue is breaking down. And if the parts of the brain that regulate sleep and wake start to break down, then we might see some problems with sleep. Other than that, the system is virtually unbreakable.
0: That's such an important key point for us all to understand and remember, I think, that our uh, sleep system actually is not broken. If we don't sleep well one night, that actually could be a good thing for the next night's sleep.
1: Yes, and of course, again, evolutionary biology has something to, to do with this. You know, stress is an inevitable part of human life. None of us are going to go through life without being stressed at multiple points. And so, of course, we have to have adapted to manage that stress. There are going to be times when we need to be up. Evolutionarily speaking, if we were short on food, we couldn't find food, or we're being hunted by a predator, we might need to stay awake longer. And if we weren't adapted to do that, we would not have survived. So of course we're designed to manage after a night of poor sleep. The system, again, when we're able to sleep, corrects for that. What you don't want happening in the past, we might have been shorted sleep because there was some sort of threat to our life. Nowadays, what happens more often is people It's almost a self-perceived threat. We'll talk about this a little later with one of the other myths. That's great information. So now let's talk about the morning. Oh, their
0: morning myth. Classic myth.
1: I should feel refreshed when I wake up in the morning.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes, definitely that one. Even myself think about that all the time and people keep on talking about it. Oh, when I wake up, I feel so bad. Oh, I slept so poorly just because my eyes are not so opened up immediately and shiny in the morning.
1: (laughs) Yes. So this is not true. Uh, It is not always the case that we will wake up feeling refreshed. Because in part of this sleep inertia, sleep inertia is a transition state between sleep and wakefulness, during which we often feel groggy, heavy-lidded, tired eyed like maybe we could roll over and go back to sleep. It actually doesn't mean anything about our sleep or the quality of our sleep. It passes once you get up. It can take anywhere from 30 minutes up to two hours, and that is for normal sleepers. And sleep inertia is prolonged if you lie in bed. So the best thing to do in the morning, regardless of how you feel, is get up. The sleep inertia will pass more quickly, you will feel better more quickly, alert more quickly. Um, the worst thing to do is hit the snooze button because that's just gonna prolong,
0: prolong the unpleasantness. Oops, I think I've been doing uh, the wrong thing a lot. <laughs> I think you're far from the only person who's guilty of that.
1: <laughs> um, you know, another big myth And this is ubiquitous nowadays. If I check my phone or use my laptop before bedtime, that's not going to really affect my sleep. I don't have any trouble falling asleep, so it's fine. In fact, it's not for a variety of reasons. Uh, First, the light from your device. I think a lot of people nowadays are becoming more aware of this blue light. So screens emit blue light. And blue light is the particular frequency of light that gets transmitted through our eye and our retina to our master pacemaker, what's called a suprachiasmatic nucleus. And that blue light tells that pacemaker, it's time for us to be awake. And so the pacemaker is then going to communicate, okay, let's suppress the melatonin, let's wake this person up. That's what happens when you are hitting your eyeballs with a lot of blue light at bedtime. And the filters that people use are not, they don't filter out all the blue light. So blue light can actually suppress and delay melatonin, which is our main sleep-inducing hormone. This is compounded by the fact that we actually don't get a lot of daylight exposure anymore. You know, a lot of us are in an office, not necessarily near a window, on our screens all day, not getting outside. And then, of course, coming home and spending more time on screens, whether it's phone or tablet or laptop or TV. So you, true. Yeah, if you think about it, We evolved in an environment where we got lots of light during the day and virtually no light at night. (laughs) And now we're in an environment where we get virtually no light during the day and then lots of light at night. So we are in what I call a state of evolutionary mismatch. This is not healthy. We need, in order to maintain healthy sleep, what we need to do is try as much as we can to recreate the environment in which we evolved. So daylight exposure, and then limit screen time at night. If you do get more daylight exposure, interestingly, the screen light may have less of an impact on your circadian system, that pacemaker that I mentioned. So so the light is the first problem. The second problem is the content. The content that comes through our devices is both a reward, so you get a dopamine hit when you get that tweet or that uh, email or that Facebook posting, but they're also a threat Because the messages that come through our social media and our devices are not always positive. And of course, when we're threatened, there's a cortisol spike. So both the dopamine and the cortisol actually wake us up. They help us feel more alert, which is not what you want to be doing right before you're heading to bed. So you really want to be careful about when you use your devices, because if you do use them too close to bedtime, that can interfere with sleep. And even if you don't have trouble falling asleep, If you happen to wake up at night, which is, of course, not uncommon for adults, and you haven't allowed yourself to de-stress and disengage from your day, you might be awake for a while at night as a result.
0: Wow. Hold on. Uh, That part I haven't thought about. So I always think, you know, if you have insomnia, sure, you want to try whatever you can. Have good sleep habit. So try to block all the blue lights a while before bedtime or at night in general. But I always think if people's sleep is normal, totally okay, no complaints, they can use blue light as much as they want, however they want. Sounds like it's not true. No,
1: it's really not true. And of course, when we're younger, um, we probably are able to overcome that, the effects of the blue light a little more easily, just as we're able to overcome a lot of things more easily when we're younger. We're just generally more resilient to things. But it is not a good habit to get into. And I'm really struck when I see patients we always recommend that people put away their devices in the hour before bedtime, because in that hour or two before bedtime is when your melatonin levels start to rise naturally. And so you don't want to inadvertently inhibit the, the increase in melatonin, because that's what helps you feel sleepy. So we always tell people, put away your devices an hour before bedtime. You've been using them the entire day, most of the evening, so... An hour is not going to kill you, but I cannot tell you how many people will look at me (laughs) in total (laughs) confusion or concern and say, but what am I going to do?
0: (laughs) Exactly. I see people coming to me for treatment for insomnia. They would say, well, I'm waiting for you to tell me stop using my phone, my computer. I plan to tell you no, absolutely not.
1: (laughs) Now, having said that, there are some situations, you know, if someone is not watching a lot of TV, not spending a lot of time on devices, and they have this, these favorite sitcoms or sort of light, funny shows that really help them relax, okay. But you certainly don't want to be on your screens doing work-related activities, productive activities, bill paying. That's just going to stress you out. The light will alert you, and then you're not going to have a restful night.
0: Yeah, and I think talking about that, remind me, I think figuring out your own stressors is quite important, right? Because I know some people get even triggered or get more stressed out when they read political news at night.
1: Exactly. Again, I, unfortunately, we're going through a particularly challenging time politically in the U.S., and I cannot tell you how many patients come in and they are watching the news at night and getting <laughs> activated. And so literally we have to establish a news-free zone. So in the hour or two before bedtime, you will not watch the news. I will tell people that. Wow. So, yeah, you, and I think you put your finger on a key point here, which is you have to know what stresses you out because we're all individual. So what stresses you out might not stress me out or vice versa. So you have to know yourself and what gets you worried or anxious And that's what you want to avoid in that hour or two before bedtime.
0: Right. That's so true. Totally agree.
1: Now there is another uh, activity that can make us feel anxious at night. Almost always when we see people for sleep problems, they are, if they happen to be awake at night, they are checking the time. Oh, yes. (laughs) Are you guilty of that too?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we all have phones around us, right? and sometimes we wear the checkers. Mm-hmm. So when you get up in the middle of the night or when you somehow cannot sleep, very habitually, you just turn on your light uh, your your phone and uh, check the time' it's, it's very I, I don't think I even think about that sometimes.
1: It's automatic. You're exactly right. Yes,
0: And I think because it's automatic, that's
1: where people get in trouble. Because oftentimes they'll think, oh, well, that, you know, if I check the time, I, I, I feel less anxious. It's reassuring. In fact, it's not. <laughs> the, reason, the reason why, it's twofold. Number one, when you wake up and check the time. First of all, if you set your alarm, you don't need to know the time. The only reason to know the time is you know, so you can start doing the math. How long have I been asleep? How much more time do I have to sleep? What do I have to do tomorrow? And at some point that arithmetic can really trigger worry, especially, oh, I better get back to sleep soon. Have a busy day tomorrow. I want to be on top of my game. So checking the time at night at a minimum wakes you up. At a maximum, it actually makes you lose sleep because what people will say is, oh, but if I wake up and I see the time and it's only 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm relieved because I have all this time to sleep. And then I'll ask them, well, what happens if you wake up and it's 5.30 in the morning and you have to be up at 6.30? They'll usually say, oh, well, well, you know, I'll I'll get up and start my day. Yes, that's exactly right because you just psyched yourself out of a potential extra 45 minutes of sleep. If you did not know what time it was, you might be able to go back to sleep more easily. So checking the time at night is not helpful for sleep. We always tell people just set your alarm for the time you need to get up in the morning, even if you don't have to be up for something. And don't check the time if you're awake at night, if you're, if you're really struggling with it. And people really do. For some people, it's very easy not to check the time. But for a lot of people, it is not easy. So we tell people, if you're really struggling, then put the clock or your phone in a drawer, under the bed, across the room, or outside the room. Wow. together.
0: <laughs> people nowadays really need to do so much to avoid using the phone or checking the time, huh?
1: Yes, as you said, it is so automatic. You don't even think about it. It just happens.
0: (laughs) Right, it's so interesting. Sometimes we do certain things without talking about that, being aware of it. We just not realizing we are doing that. Actually, we are doing that impact ourselves back in a way.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. We're not helping ourselves. We're actually hurting ourselves and we don't even know it.
0: How about those people wearing their trackers? Do you just let them take it off?
1: We usually encourage people to take off their sleep tracker. Um, again, because it can promote sleep as a performance, which actually hurts sleep. Um, and also because, you know, I mentioned that pacemaker, that suprachiasmatic nucleus, that's like our own internal clock. We actually have a sense of what time it is. We don't necessarily need a, a tracker to tell us. And so if people are using the tracker to sort of tell them what's going on with their sleep, not only is that not necessarily an accurate picture, but they don't even really need it to know the time.
0: Right. Feels like when people have the tra- tracker, they not only ignore their own biological signal, they also misinterpret the data from the tracker.
1: Yes, yes, exactly right. And that's what gets people in trouble. Because the tracker, again, as we talked early, about earlier, is not measuring sleep. It's measuring movement or the absence of movement, which is not um, the best correlation with sleep. And so it can really give them an inaccurate picture. And once again, my concern is either it's going to promote sleep as a performance or it's going to um, increase worry about sleep.
0: Yeah, and also, for example, if people read from the tracker, first the tracker already not accurate. And then when they read it, they say, well, I only had like one hour or one and a half hour deep sleep and that amount of uh, uh RAM sleep, well, that means what, what, what. But based on what you talk about, if the deep sleep is uh those many percentage and tend to 20% or REM sleep, 20%-ish, then actually that data may look normal to an expert like you.
1: Yes, yes. That would look perfectly normal. That if I saw that, it'd be like, OK, healthy adult sleep. It's fine.
0: Huh. Wow. Because I could not even remember how many people has come to me, including friends and family, showing me that data trying to figure out whether it's bad sleep.
1: <laughs> yes, that is just not something you want to get caught up in. It's <laughs> not a helpful habit to have. So I encourage everyone who's listening to your podcast to give it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, those companies are going to be very unhappy with it.
1: <laughs> That's true. Fortunately, I'm not getting paid by any of these companies. so I can... <laughs>
0: um, But yeah, if you're
1: using the tracker for increasing your level of physical activity or other things, great. But for tracking sleep and telling you in the morning how you slept, not a good idea. Also, think of what happens when you wake up. You have that sleep inertia, so you're feeling a little groggy. You check your sleep tracker, and it looks like you didn't sleep so well last night. What are you going to think about your day, the day ahead? How are you going to feel? Alert? Excited? Ready to greet the day? No. You're going to be like, oh, boy, I didn't sleep well. Today is going to be so hard. Ugh. So you you have just given yourself, created a self-fulfilling prophecy where because of how you think about what happened, your day is now not going to be as good as if you did not have that early morning experience of sleep inertia, sleep tracking, and oh my goodness, my sleep is not, wasn't good.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm. So this is the first part of my conversation with Dr. Barwick. She shared a lot of great information about deep sleep, dream sleep, and how to use sleep trackers correctly, how to deal with our anxieties. Hopefully you are inspired and learned something from this episode. A summary of this episode will be on our website, deepintosleep.co forward slash episode forward slash 009. Please feel free to leave us comments if you like our show or if you have any questions. I would always love to hear from you. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. or slash insomnia.